Acts, the 16th chapter, and we're going to start and read uh, many verses, starting with verse 16. And it came to pass, as we went to prayer, a certain damsel, possessed with a spirit of divination, met us, which brought her masters much gain by Susay. The same followed Paul and us, and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. And this did she many days. But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the Spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. And when her masters saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace under the rulers and brought them to the magistrates, saying, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city, teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe, being Romans. And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates ran off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their their feet fast in the stocks. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he cried for a light and sprang in and came trembling. And fell down before Paul and Silas, and brought them out, and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, and thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord, and to all that were in his house. Our Heavenly Father, how wonderful you have been to every one of us that know you personally. Thank you for saving us, for loving us, for calling us, for showing us light and truth, for revealing Christ and his death as payment for our sins. Thank you for that wonderful work you've done all undeserved on our part. And we realize because we are undeserving that you must love us greatly. Thank you for that. Those in this room today that do not know you, may they know today from your spirit how they might be saved. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, that's a familiar story, I know, to us, but a story that oftentimes, I think, does not come across 
in all its truths to us as we are presented these truths. God wants us to look seriously into his word and see what is truly happening. He gives us stories. I'm so thankful for stories. I, I need stories. Uh, I grew up uh, hearing stories and sermons that uh, reveal truth. And uh, I think people oftentimes would sit around in their homes and learn to tell stories to each other before television came along. And oftentimes church was a place where I heard stories. And stories of men and real people that lived in the past. And oftentimes I could relate to those stories as a boy. Sometimes deep theology didn't crack into my brain. But stories often did open up sight that I had not understood before. I think the wonderful story of the prodigal son affected me greatly. And this is a story that I don't remember too much hearing preached on when I was a boy, but nonetheless, it's a story that reveals truths that we need to know and hear today. A question is asked. And the question is, sirs, what must I do to be saved? It is a cry of despair. And the, the condition of the man, when he asks this question, is a condition of brokenness. And a condition he finds himself in without hope. Let me give you the background and we'll see this. Jesus is the subject here, whether we understand or not. But when they're praying, I'm sure Jesus' name is brought up when the apostles are. When they're singing songs, it's about Jesus. When they're arrested, it had been about Jesus. And this man has some knowledge from these experiences of their arrest. And it's about the Lord Jesus. Really, the, the hero, if we want to call it that, the hero is Christ. There's much that is done by men here, but the focus is Christ. Paul and Silas have been sent by the Spirit of God into a new area of the world where the gospel has not been preached. Today we know this area as Greece. They'd come out of Turkey where the earthquake was just recently and they'd gone into Greece by the leadership of God and now they'd come to a city called Philippi. And there is no Jewish synagogue in Philippi. Not enough Jewish people live there. But they had a place of prayer. When Paul found that place, he went there on that Sabbath day and had a time with other Jews and spoke to them about Christ. And out of that came a woman that inquired more 
and came to know Christ as her Savior. And as Paul and Silas spent some weeks in this, in this city, they would go in throughout the city, probably the center of the city, and they were doing different things. And as they were speaking to people about the Lord, there was a woman that was demon-possessed. We kind of have a hard time getting our minds around that, I fear, today. But I have to tell you that there's a great darkness in this world keeping people from Christ. She was speaking truth. These are the servants of the Most High God, which tell the way of salvation. That was what she was saying about them. But it's kind of like a drunk, you know, telling you about Christ. And he's kind of staggering around and laughing. Well, you, you don't take much from that. If anything, it hurts the message of Christ. But sometimes people that get drunk, that have a background in Christianity, maybe grew up in a church, they begin to loosen their tongue and talk under the influence of those spirits. After several days, Paul grew tired of it and he commanded the spirit to come out of the woman. Well, the woman was a fortune teller. She could tell people through spirits what was their future. And I'm sure not accurately, but nonetheless enough to get the attention of the people so that they might uh, come to her and she would charge them a fee. In fact, she was a slave and the fees that she charged would go to her owners. When they had cast out the demon, she lost her power. And her keepers, or her owners, became very angry about it. And they knew where this problem had started. It started with Paul and Silas, and they decided that they were going to arrest, have them arrested. And they did so. You know, money is a very strong God in our day today. And when it costs somebody financially, religion, Christianity, uh, many times people will be upset. They have Paul and Silas arrested, and they say they teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe being Romans. And they use the patriotic theme here to bring people against them. And they came against them, and they rent off their clothes, and they beat them. And then they put them in prison and told them, told the jailer to keep them safely. Now this was, I'm sure, a great uh, awakening to the jailer in the sense that he realized how serious the people were taking what these men had done. And if he didn't keep them safely, he would be in trouble. I do not think this happened at night, by the way. But it, by midnight... Paul and Silas began to pray. I, I am imagining something here, but if I were them, I might be kind of licking my wounds for a while, wondering why God had allowed us to be beaten so hard and thrown into prison. And I might say to the Lord, Lord, why? Why is this happening to us? I don't know that they did that, but I knew, know this, that before the day completely ended, they began to pray and sing songs. And the prisoners heard them. 
God is watching. God is hearing. I have to say to you, it's very important for me as a child to know that God was watching me. And in a positive way and in a negative way. I needed to know that he saw my wrongdoing as well as loving me. And suddenly, there was an earthquake. You know, your life will come to a place of despair. God will bring an earthquake into your life as he brings you to him. It'll be a crisis, trouble. It may come in the form of an illness. It may come in the form of a disappointment and Life, as you grow old, there's lots of disappointments. Maybe very deep things, hurts of life. But oftentimes, it comes suddenly, unexpectedly, like this earthquake. You may be happy with the way things are in life. Everything may be going well. You have everything you need. But if God is to call you, he's got to awaken you to your problem. And you have a problem. It's a major problem. It's the problem of your life, and that is the problem of sin. Now, I have to say to you that this jailer is not uh, childlike. Uh, He's got full faculty. And I think that he is aware of his sin long before this earthquake. You, You know that too, don't you? Sometimes you get alone and you think about things that you failed in or something you did to somebody. You wish you could take it back. Maybe you think about something in life that you missed because of the wrongdoing. Something that happened you cannot return to a situation because of your wrongdoing. You know it. If someone were to ask you, Have you done wrong to God? You would say, oh, yes, I have. But we live with that, and everything's fine, it seems, and we don't get too troubled about it. We look around and say, well, everybody does this. I'm not the only one. And, uh, you know, I know that I shouldn't have done those things, but God is uh, understanding, and we have this kind of sense that we are all right. Even though we know I'm wrong, but earthquake comes, God shakes us. I'm reminded on the day of Pentecost, here are men that just a few days before had been howling the words, crucify him, crucify him. And now Jesus being dead and rising from the dead and word going around that he was alive and now 50 days later after the crucifixion, they know what they've done wrong. They didn't They didn't leave the cross area full of joy and happiness. They were left ashamed of their part in this wrongdoing. And there's things that you're ashamed of that you've done against God. You don't want to think about it. But sometime in your life, God may cause an earthquake to make you think. 
Look at my sin, how wicked it is. Oh, no, no more. Look around and say, well, there's other jailers just as bad as I am. Maybe worse. No, it's a personal thing. You're involved in a situation you cannot run from. And God awakens you to your condition. Do you see what he's... He, he, the, the earthquake has not just shaken the earth, but it's opened the doors of the prison. The prison is dark. There's no candles and lights, lanterns in there. And the earthquake has opened the doors. And when the jailer sees all the situation, he's in despair. And we see his despair. What's the use of living? I'm going to die. I've ruined everything. Everything's ruined. Maybe he doesn't yet see it that it's him, but everything is ruined. And he despairs. His life is in danger because the prisoners in his mind are escaped, but it is not true. An interesting story this is. How could these men that had been so beaten, and other prisoners too, how could they all have stayed? Would they not want their freedom? Well, that's normal, and that would be normal in any situation like this, but it's not, it's not happening here because, you see, God's in control. And God really is in control. You think sometimes you are in control, you're not. God's here. Normally men would have fled, especially the men that didn't know the Lord. Why are they still there? God is in control and he takes out his sword. He begins to fall upon it. I'm going to have to end my life. Then they cry out, no, don't do yourself any harm. Isn't that the message? Quit doing yourself harm. We're all here. You know, it's a wonderful thing to wake up and know that somebody loves you. Somebody cares. We're all here. We've not fled. Do you think those prisoners don't know that he's in trouble? If they escape, they do know. But we're all here. Don't do yourself any harm. Oh, do you not know, my dear friend, that people care for you, for your eternity? What's going to happen to you? Why would anybody care? Well, I can tell you Paul. Paul cared because in all of his wickedness, God cared for him. And when he was going about doing his evil, God just stopped him and introduced himself to him. I'm Jesus of Nazareth whom you persecute. And Paul the rest of his life would say, why did he care? For me. And in that love that he had experienced, he loved this jailer. We'll not leave. We're here. Don't do yourself any harm. And then this despair. And now then someone showing him some help and attention. You know that the natural thing is to ask them. For his help. 
they care. What must I do, he says, to be saved? Sirs, oh, he's not treating them now like prisoners, but honoring them. What must I do to be saved? That's a question that all may God bring us to ask. What must we do to be saved? It's not a right question, but nonetheless, it's a question that's needed. And it's a question that is spoken without any hope in himself. It's a question also not of just despair and all these things he was seeing flashing before his eyes. It was a question of misunderstanding. Sometimes we are misunderstood, or we do misunderstand, I guess I should say. When I think about getting right with God, I wanted to know what could I do? So I began to ask. I didn't didn't know. And I thought, is there some thing I must do? I want to be right with God. I want to know God. What can I do? When Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, and he told of what they had done to Christ, with cruel hands you've taken and crucified the Holy One. When they heard those words, they said, how can we be saved? What can I do to be saved? I've had men ask me that question. Men come in years past, especially as we've been dealing with lost people that are fallen into deep sin. And I've had men say to me, you know, I prayed, I did pray, I meant it. And as we'd examine their salvation, what they were trusting, as they would tell me, they really were praying, believing that a good prayer would save them. And when I would explain to them that it wasn't by any good works that they could do, then I've had men ask me, well, then what can I do? And I say to them, nothing. There's nothing you can do. Hmm. And I've, I, maybe on purpose, shame on me. I've let them think about that maybe just for 10 or 15 seconds. It's hard. But they need to understand, and this man needs to understand. There's nothing he can do. And so the answer was not, you do this and God will save you. You'll be forgiven. The answer wasn't even close to that. But the answer was, you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. The cry of misunderstanding needs to be answered with the truth. Believe on the Lord Jesus. I know those are words we're so familiar with that it's almost lost its meaning. But to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ is not to believe in his existence. But it's to believe in his work. To call upon his name is to call upon his ability, his power, his goodness. To look to him, to get your eyes off yourself. I know it's embarrassing sometimes. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Well, you can't do. 
That's humbling, isn't it? But we need to be humbled. Or we can't trust Christ. We, we still trust ourselves. I know sometimes people are looking and what is it? And I'll go to church. I'll try to find out what I should do and so on. I'm glad that they go to church. I'm glad that Paul is being asked this question. But the question is answered, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. It's a gracious answer. The cry of this man is graciously answered. Believe that one, his name was Jesus. He would come into this world to save sinners like you. Believe that the Lord Jesus came and died an innocent death without any sin, that he might pay your judgment. Believe that it's finished. His work is enough to take all your sin and pay for it and cast it from the east as far as the east is from the west. Don't believe in your goodness. Believe in his goodness. Don't believe in your power. Believe in his power. Don't believe that you're a good person. Believe he's a good person. And believe that he came to save sinners. Don't you think this man qualifies? <laughs> Cruel and mean as a as a jailer would be in this day. Self-centered, ignoring his sin, calloused over the beatings he's given men. I'm sure. But now, his heart is crying. God doesn't ignore him. God doesn't ignore you. If earthquakes come, light will come. If God awakens you to your sin, God hadn't awakened you to your sin just to leave you in despair, but to show you Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. When I heard those words, Christ died for you, Joe. It was the answer. I knew. I didn't just know I needed a Savior. I knew that he was the Savior because he did die for me. We don't hear this man pray. He may have. And I would say in his heart he's crying out to God. But you see, he simply believed. And in that, he has come to a, a Savior. A Savior that died in his place. And Paul and Silas took the word of God and explained it to him. And he believed. May I tell you this, and I hope you hear it good. Every saved person in this room has gone through this same thing this man went through. Knowing sin, but something happening to wake us up and realize what we had done, not just to others around us, but what we had done to God. And then 
There was nothing left but judgment and death. There's no answer. We can't do anything. And then we were told of Christ. And as the scripture says, look unto me and be saved all the ends of the earth. So simple, isn't it? A child can be saved. A grown man that is so deep in sin can be saved. Harlots can be saved. Murderers can be saved. Church members can be saved. Those that have had hypocritical lives can be saved. That's what this church is about, is not to have a beautiful building, and I thank God for this beautiful building. But people are despairing. What can I do to be saved? And the message rings out here from this pulpit. Your pastor preaches it. Christ alone can save you. Can you see it? I've often thought of this. When Christ was dying on the cross, did he know those that would come to him? Did he know me? He died for me. It's very personal. It's not just a fact of him dying. He died for sinners. What can I do? Not a thing. What can Christ do? Everything. Not just forgiving, but he'll be born in you. That's kind of hard to understand. But his life, his righteousness, will be imparted to you. And then you can say, God, you're my father. I'm your child. You'll never leave me. You'll never forsake me. Only believe. Only believe. Aren't you glad God wrote that to us? Told us of this man's life. What is your name? I know some of you's names. But God knows all of you. Or what is your title? Young man? Old woman? Child? Jailer? He knows us, doesn't he? And as we would, Lord, see him, as he would be revealed to us, a light would shine and we would see that we trust him.